We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We got a two-parter for you today. We have Bracken Ray on Ole Miss basketball's 0-2 week. They're crumbling NCAA tournament chances. Where they go from here, some defensive issues, foul trouble, and a whole lot more. Then after that, we'll talk to Colin Brister on Ole Miss taking a series from high point and avoiding T-total disaster to start the season. So just a whole bunch of positivity to start this. But regardless, I think you will enjoy these two podcasts or these two conversations, I should say, regardless. Before we get to that, though, I want to take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Seaspire. It's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have a reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves in having the best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning local service based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. Seaspire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and the Southern Alabama regions. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new two gigabit and eight gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today to use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, at checkout for one month of free service. That's right. Just for listening to this podcast, you get one month of free service when signing up for Cspire. Check them out. Cspire, customer inspired. This podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. If you're into sports wagering, you need to check out Skybox. They rake it in college basketball every single year. March Madness is around the corner. Skybox clients know how much money they've made for them so far this year. Don't miss out on the fun as college basketball heats up into the postseason month. Check them out. Go online. Find a picks package today that'll fit your price range. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off any purchase. Check them out. Skyboxsportspicks.com. All right, we will start off with Bracken Ray. All right, we now welcome on former Andy Kennedy staffer, Rippy Wright's basketball correspondent, Bracken Ray. Tough 0-2 week for the Rebels. They lose on the road at Mississippi State. And then for a game you were in attendance for yesterday, a blowout home loss to South Carolina in a game that really never felt that close after about 15 minutes in and one that was very, very detrimental to their NCAA tournament chances. You were there. What would you think? 
Yeah, uh, so first game back in the pavilion in, I think the last game I went to was Iowa State in 2019. So it had been a while. I've obviously gotten to go to a lot of neutral site games and games here in Nashville, um, you know, under Kermit. But uh, it was, you know, first game back in the pavilion. And, you know, every time I walk in there, it's amazing how nice of a facility that is. Um, I thought that it was a decent crowd, you know, a decent atmosphere, but, you know, it's hard when your team's kind of playing slow um, and lethargic at times to really get the the fan base involved. You know, looking at looking at that game, and I think this is encompassing of really since we played in Columbia, South Carolina, you know, two or three weeks ago. Yeah. I just have been super surprised by how lethargic this group has played the past two or three weeks. Um, you know, if you look at it, on the offensive end of the court, there's there's a talent issue, right? If you if you look offensively, your wings aren't able to beat guys one on one enough. Juju's gotten exposed by SEC length, which we kind of talked about exiting non conference that could happen. And then, you know, your two five men give you nothing offensively. Um, honestly, negative at, at times. Um, and so, you know, that's that's one piece of it, but. That's something that you address through recruiting. But on the defensive side of the floor, I just have been um, I've been super shocked by, the, you know, the effort, um, the, the effort on the defensive end of the floor has been problematic the past two or three weeks, um, even for, you know, older, more experienced guys. And one thing I texted you about is I kind of think that something that has hurt Ole Miss in a myriad of ways has been switching when Juju Murray is on the floor. So Ole Miss likes to switch everything, screens, down screens, ball screens, et cetera. And it's, you know, it's at times um, throughout conference play when they've done it, put Ole Miss in bad matchups, um, one-on-one matchups, but also it, you know, it's, it's killed Ole Miss defensively, or excuse me. um, It's killed them from a rebounding standpoint as well. So you know, all that to say, hey, off- offensively, there's a there's a talent issue, um, but defensively, there's one s- schematic thing that that I don't love, but the overarching thing with how much there has been to play for the past, you know, twenty days or so has been the effort. Yeah, and what do you attribute that to? Because they don't play a lot of guys. Beard got asked a very interesting question. It was more offensive related, but he basically got asked if he thought. He was getting the production from his bench that he thought he would when he constructed the team, and he gave a pretty blunt answer with no. They don't play a ton of guys. I mean, look, everybody's worn down this year. He went out of his way in his press conference yesterday to mention that Jamin Brakefield has been playing banged up with a wrist injury and a couple other things. What do you attribute that to other than fatigue? I mean, look, some teams just aren't wired in a way that's conducive to putting together a consistent effort. But for a team that's right there on the NCAA tournament bubble playing important basketball games in February, this seems like a wild topic to be talking about, but we are doing it for a reason because it's true. Uh, uh, Agreed. And I think you do make a good point. There is – this group has looked tired at times. I was really hoping that Tuesday to Tuesday stretch where they had a week break was going to be enough to kind of recharge the batteries. Um, But – you know, they, they look worn out. And because of how many dog fights they've had since game one of the season, with how many close non-conference games against 
you know, kind of cupcake, so to speak, they tightened that bench really quick, right? This wasn't a, hey, 10 or 11 person, um, you know, rotation for six weeks. I mean, they had to tighten that bench really quick. So these guys have a lot of, you know, minutes on their legs. But but outside of that, and by no means I'm saying there's some, you know, massive locker room problem, but without being involved in that program, it, it really is a little mind boggling to me, you know, the 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 lack of effort um that this group has had. The one thing is, you know, we always kind of look at different stats and you know, Ole Miss gets out rebounded by 10 last night, story of the year. But the one that I, I think they are getting their ass kicked in without seeing it um, transactionally anywhere is 50-50 balls. You know, right. Ole Miss is just not winning any 50-50 balls. And, again, experienced guys, you've got a ton to play for. You had so much momentum and energy. You know, state game, Auburn game at home. I don't know. It's a, it's a little head-scratching. It is very head-scratching, and they put themselves in quite the predicament uh, because of it. So, as I mentioned, what they've lost five of their last six now – uh, or maybe is that six of seven? We had six of no five of six, I think. Yeah, uh, but pretty much after that Mississippi State game in Oxford, it seems like they've just run out of gas a little bit. Again, there's a myriad of reasons for that. You mentioned the schematic piece of it defensively, where they're getting exposed by Juju's length come conference play. I was talking, so he didn't play when they uh, it, for a lot of the crunch time minutes when they played at South Carolina the first time. And I was texting back and forth with you about that. And I was wondering why you mentioned it could have been a defensive matchup issue kind of sounded like that from the post game for a team that doesn't rebound worth a damn anyway. Have they ever like, if you surprised they haven't just tried some sort of zone. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a good thought. Um, one thing I was going to, when you brought up Juju, like we ran a lot of one, three, one, um, you know, in 15, 16, and would hide Moody inside of the one three one. And what that means is, hey, Moody was a bucket offensively, but there's only so much he could give you at his size defensively. And so we would try to kind of hide him in that one three one. Um Beard's, you know, not a huge, not a huge zone guy, but in lineups where Juju is in, it has surprised me, yes, that they haven't tried to do things differently um to hide him a little bit so that he doesn't get exposed as much and when you switch all down screens and ball screens you are exposing as much as possible right you could you could have um you know you could have a seven foot tall big that juju's switched on in the low post and you know now it's a back to the basket matchup between seven feet and five eleven down there so um yeah, I agree. I will say though, yesterday, I mean, yesterday, I all in a lot of ways was just as frustrated offensively because there were so many times that the group dribbled without a purpose. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's we'd call it counters back in the day. So, like, hey, going in, be in between your leg or crossover or behind your back, but not doing it with a purpose. Just, you know, dribbling in place and not getting downhill enough. There was a lot of that yesterday. And I think I looked up with, like, two minutes left in the first half and they had scored 19 points. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was – we've talked about when this team is bad, the ball starts getting stuck. And, again, another key piece of this, if we're kind of centering a part of this conversation on what happened yesterday, 
Morrell getting two fouls in the first like three and a yeah. half minutes and playing three minutes in the first half, not having any points at all, was really kind of a death knell for this team. Then he actually does fairly well. Well, I say fairly well. He picks up the fourth with about nine, ten minutes left. Doesn't I think that's long. where the game I think that was nail in the coffin. That, that early. If if it that I think that what that play was nail in the coffin. And the reason why is um they'd gotten up maybe 17. Ole Miss goes on a 6-0 run. Um, I think Brakefield took a charge in front of the student section. Yes. So Ole Miss gets the ball back. And, you know, I mean, the crowd is into it at this point. Well, now uh, they ran an action for Morrell to try to, you know, shoot a three. Would have gotten it down to eight. Morrell bobbles the ball, fouls the guy who gets it. That's his fourth foul with like eight or nine minutes left. And that's when I was like, I was like, that was that was your chance to chip away and get back at it, and that's when I that's when I thought it, it was done. Yeah, because at that point you're sitting there looking, and you still have a fairly steep hill to climb, despite everything you just mentioned with the crowd being back into the game and them having a chance. And you know, honestly, for Breakfield, I know he's a little bit injured, but for a guy that doesn't show a ton of emotion, he was like trying to get the crowd into it. He seemed pretty enthused, and I was like, well, if this guy still hasn't quit on this yet. Then maybe they got a shot here. The fourth foul happens, and it, it just my thought was was similar to yours. It's like, well, how are you going to come up with enough offense, even if you do get the stops? with him off the floor. And granted, like I mentioned, he didn't sit for very long, but it still felt like just too much of an uphill climb. And we talked about the offensive side of it with the ball sticking too much. And do your mind, does that become harder? Does that become more likely for them to do when you have a situation like that where Morrell is not on the floor? Yeah, for sure. Um, I do think so. But again, like I think Morrell's biggest weakness has been not being able to create um, so I think it's kind of consistent across the board. Juju is having tough, tough time creating against length. They take way too many force mid-range jumpers, in my opinion. And then look, I mean, the elephant in the room here is, I mean, there is no back to the basket presence at all. Yeah. This is going to be a super hot take. So if, if we're, if we're ready for a hot take, I'll have it. And I know oh, yeah. a, lot of people, a lot of people will not, um, like this take because I don't I don't think he was necessarily a fan favorite. I think Bruce Stevens would help this team. Like, and what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, obviously, Saez would help this team. Obviously, Romello White, but even somebody that far down, he's going to get you six or seven rebounds a game. He back to the basket if somebody was his height or shorter, was pretty efficient, and um, at times because of how many he attempted you had to keep him honest from the three as well. So that just shows you like how big of a deficiency you have with CSA and Sharps. We're literally like, I think Bruce Stevens is a win more for this team. I think you're right too. And I remember that last year where Kermit was playing Bruce and Dom and it was, he would get so frustrated because if you could take what like Dom offered defensively and what Bruce offered offensively and you had like one player or better yet, two players of the exact same skill set like that, they'd have been a hell of a lot better off. But you're right. It would at least give them something offensively. And then the other piece of it is we talked about the effort and kind of the lethargicness of it. That kind of brings to mind the defensive aspect of it. They're not like horrible for an entire 40 minutes defensively, but man, they have stretches where it's just like you feel like the opponent has scored on seven or eight trips. And particularly once you've fallen behind, it becomes incredibly difficult when you can't consistently get stops to try to chip your way back into a game. And with the exception of them playing on the road at South Carolina, 
in that one kind of spurt on the road at Texas A&M, when they've gotten down like that, they really haven't had that sort of comeback. And I wonder if that's why. But, like, what do you attribute that to? It just seems like there's long stretches in these games where they really struggle to get stops. And I'm not even talking about just two in a row. It feels like sometimes the opponent, again, has scored on seven, eight straight possessions. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's a good point. I mean, the first piece we've been talking about is the effort piece of it. The second is, you know, I think that they give up a lot of second chance points because of 50-50 balls and offensive rebounds. Um, and then the third thing is this team has gotten progressively worse about keeping guys in front of them and getting beat, you know, getting beat off the dribble as well. Um, so, you know, it's a, you know, it's, it's frustrating, but I think this team with, the right amount of effort could be a, a solid, you know, defensive team. They're not going to be world beaters, but they could do it, you know, do enough to get you where you wanted to go. So that's, what's been frustrating about the past three weeks. I guess the biggest, yeah, I, that's kind of where I was going to go. I guess kind of the all encompassing point in this is like, doesn't this team look a ton different defensively than they did in late December, the first two weeks of January than they do now? Yes, for sure. I mean, the, the other thing is, and we're seeing this play out, is just how weak that non-conference schedule is, though. So it's very hard to kind of compare. Um, you know, this SEC is a, a different beast. Um, so it, it's very hard to kind of compare. It's it's the same thing as, like, I mean, Juju Murray, you know, mid from the start of the season to mid-January looked like a second-team All-SEC player. You know, now you put SEC guys who have length and athleticism against him. And, I mean, there's been, you know, a few games where he's been a non-factor. Yeah, he has. The road game at South Carolina, most notably among them. And then I wouldn't be one of our podcasts if I didn't bring up the, the what mesmerize, – I know mesmerize is not the right word. What confuses me about Brandon Murray and his inability to have any sort of consistent role in this team. There's been moments and there's flashes. Yeah. But even when he's on the floor, you forget he's on the floor half the time just – I don't know. I mean, I keep revisiting the same storyline, but where do you think he could be helping on this team that just hasn't happened? Well, here's the thing. I mean, this is the we, – we talked about this, you know, the whole topic early in the season is, hey, this team is going to be competitive. What if Cissé gets eligible? What if Murray gets eligible? It seems like half a year ago. <laughs> but, you know, that was that was not that long ago. And Cissé – Big 12 player of the year, uh, defensive player of the year, second in the league in rebounding. You just have not seen any of that this year. You know, he's been somewhat of a, you know, a, a, a good threat, obviously, from a altering shots, blocking shots standpoint. But he's he's taken a step back. With Brandon Murray, I really thought there was a chance he could be the best two-way player on this team. Um, from watching him play, he had, you know, good seasons at both Georgetown and LSU. And where I also thought that he could help this group is in January, I had the concern of Juju against length and athleticism and also defense. Well, Brandon Murray's like 6'5", and he's a he's he's been known to be a really good on-ball defender. So in the times where there's bad matchups for Juju, you could put him in there. What I have kind of noticed is if you look at Brandon Murray's stats, he scored a lot, but he was very inefficient you know, uh, in his freshman and sophomore year at places. Um, this is not an efficient offensive group right now regardless. But I think when um, Beard was trying to get him into the rhythm of the offense, the offense at that time was efficient. 
they had very good spacing and shot selection. And so Murray, that was not a strength of his. And that I think that was decreasing his minutes. And that probably spilled over from practice more than anything. That makes sense. It's just, uh, I don't know, some of the, the – I figured this team was kind of going to get a – say shot in the arm but kind of maybe take it to a level that we didn't think they had in them once they got those two guys eligible and it seems like it's kind of the same in the sense that they just maxed out what they already had um obviously i mean if you took cc and brendan murray off the roster would this team be where it is no but would it be marked like drastically different i'm not really sure you can say that at this point but kind of putting this big picture wise obviously their ncaa tournament chances took a pretty massive dip with this loss on Saturday, I'm kind of at the point now where unless they do something crazy over the next couple of weeks, like it doesn't it doesn't feel realistic anymore to talk about it. What are they sitting at? They got four games left and they are six and eight, eight. six and seven. Do I have this right? Six, or, six and eight. So 19 and eight, six and eight. And we talked about nine, nine probably gets you to the SEC tournament with a chance at it, 10, you feel pretty good, maybe needing to do something in Nashville. Where do you kind of look at their NCAA tournament outlook now and how do you view it? Well, yeah, I think, I mean, I thought that South Carolina was a must win if you wanted to, you know, protect yourself from having to make a Saturday to Sunday type run in Nashville. Um, You know, the the double-edged sword is that, you know, Missouri's not very good. Um, Georgia hangs with people, but, you know, they, they don't have a great record. You're more talented than those two teams. You beat A&M earlier this year and have them at home. Um, so, I mean, those are three games that you could win. But really and truly for the tournament talks to start again, I think you would have to go beat Bama. Right now, I mean, really, you would need to beat Bama and, you know, two out of three um, in the other games. One of those losses can't be at Missouri. You can't lose to Missouri. All right, so that equation gets you to nine. You'd probably have to go win two in Nashville. So you get to nine. three Three out of the next four, you can't lose to Missouri and two in Nashville, and it also have to be the right scenario of who the two are. You know, I, I don't think this is a serious topic, honestly, right now. Sure. If you go beat, if you go beat Alabama, you know, maybe it can it can be brought up, you know, again. Uh, but their their path and picture has you know drastically decreased. Yeah, I think so as well. And then just to kind of like clean that up, the other p like the other path too, without beating Alabama is winning the other three games, getting to Nashville and kind of seeing who the opponents are, which again is a big if, but like, I guess to put a bow on that piece of it, to get, to have any sort of topic of discussion about what could happen in Nashville to get them somehow into the NCAA tournament picture, it has to get to nine regardless. This has to be three of the next four, just even continue the discussion into the postseason. Yes. And, and one of your three has to be Missouri. Right. Because you can't lose to them. So, yeah, to continue, you know, to, to continue that discussion. Um, now, we've seen this group play well. I mean, but right now they they just look to me like an NIT host. You know, maybe I, think a, I agree with you as well, a three or four, a three or four seed. Um, but, you know, what I'm interested to see is 
how is this group going to respond this week? Because you've lost whatever you said. Is it is it four or five or five of six? Five of six. Five of six. Your goal, the ultimate goal, the ultimate prize doesn't exist as much as it used to. Um, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen to Flanagan against in this next game. You know, that's that's another piece of it. Like, I don't like I don't know what the league's going to do on that. So it's just a it's a murky picture. And I didn't I kind of glossed over that whole piece of it, too. And we talked about kind of lethargic efforts, not smart plays, not high ba- basketball IQ plays that uh that ha- that play happened. I did, couldn't really see it like the shot clock actually of all things from where I sit was actually blocking my view behind the other basket. And yeah. they wouldn't really show the replay in the stadium. So I very quickly got a video of it from a couple of people that texted it to me. Uh, and that was basically just a punch with an elbow. I mean, if that kid from Alabama got suspended for coming down on the Florida kid when they were piled up on the floor earlier this week, I would have to think he probably gets a suspension for that. That I don't see how you could suspend one and not the other. I know it's not something that you compare two acts in a vacuum and like base one punishment off the other, but that seemed pretty blatant. Would you be surprised if he were not suspended? I think he will be suspended a game. That would be my my guess. It was a very interesting, to your point, if you ever are at a home game and there's a review going on and they don't show it on the screen. It's probably pretty probably bad. Not, <laughs> probably not good for, for your team. What was very interesting to me, obviously very stupid of him to do, especially at 22-23 being a fifth-year guy with that being such a crucial game for, you know, your tournament chances. What was very interesting to me is I immediately kind of drew my eyes towards the staff and what it looked like from my vantage point. So I was sitting right above the student section, um, you know, to the left a little bit of, of the uh, half court. What it looked like to me is the staff for Ole Miss spent that review um, I don't know if they have iPads or what it was, some sort of tablet. They were looking at what happened the play before, and there was something that happened the play before that that led to it. Um, obviously not excusable what he did at all, but um, interesting. There was there was something that happened the day before, the play before because if you you know staff wise, if you're a head coach. You know, you're the CEO. If you want to go get a technical, you can. It's very rare that assistants get technicals um, and staff. And if you do, you know, that's you're kind of in the doghouse with your head coach. um, If you get a technical and I saw one or two staffers on the Ole Miss side riding refs pretty hard um, on whatever they saw. Now, I also had heard I can't confirm this that they did replay not only Flanagan, but the possession before as well. So it, it must've been more of a, a talking thing rather than a, you know, what Flanagan did to that guy, that guy did not do that to Flanagan the play before, like he didn't swing on him or anything, but there was something that it looked like the staff was pretty frustrated with that instigated uh, the next possession. And I take it Beard probably just didn't want to get asked a follow-up question, but he went ahead and kind of cut the head off the snake. He addressed it in postgame by simply just saying he had not seen the replay of it yet. That that seems very difficult to believe, and he probably saw it in live action if he didn't, but that's probably him just not wanting to broach the subject at the time. 
Well, I actually, um, I believe that he himself probably didn't see it. He had whoever was on, Brian Berg was on scout. And so I think whoever was on scout was the one who like the GAs or video coordinators was showing it to. Um, Because I noticed that happened. And then the next media timeout, Beard pulled Lee Cassell, um, who was one of the refs, under the goal and spent the whole media timeout talking about something to Lee Cassell, which was like a minute after that possession. So, like I said, I, I'll be shocked if there was something physical that happened the possession before, because I think not a hundred percent sure. I think they can review more than, you know, one possession back. Um, but there was something that it seemed like that staff was pretty frustrated with that, that led to that next sequence. Cause I mean, think about it. You don't, you don't go and just like, I mean, unless you're an absolute basket case, you don't go and just knock the shit out of somebody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, just out of nowhere in a game that means that. Now, again, I'll say it a million times. There's nothing justified about what he did, and his suspension will probably be, you know, worth whatever he gets. But um, it was just interesting. That's the fun part about watching games in person is being able to kind of see that kind of stuff. Um you know, that, that you don't get access to by watching on TV. As we kind of wrap up here, Beard mentioned after the game yesterday uh, that it was a hurt locker room. And I don't know enough about Beard and kind of his, the way he speaks and all of that, kind of get a couple years into a coach and you can figure out when what they mean by something or what's a throwaway line. But he talked about it, what a hurt locker room it was, how they knew how important this game was and that he can't, wishes he could go back and practice tonight. Can't wait to get back on the floor and clean things up. He doesn't say that after every game, but I'm curious if you think there's any sort of last-ditch effort with this team. Do you kind of buy into that, or do you think this is a team that's really running on empty at this point in the season? It's a, it's a good question. I'm, I'm very interested to see as well. I mean, he preaches culture a lot. Um, and, you know, early, you know, the first maybe two-thirds of the year, this was a group that seemed pretty close and played hard and – um, so it, when you hit adversity at this big of a low, it's interesting to see how you respond. Are you going to fold? Do you go into, um, you know, when you play Bama, do you go into that game playing with house money a little bit and you're, you know, a little bit looser? I'm, I'm very interested to see, um, as well, but it's kind of hard to gauge without, you know, being in that locker room. Yeah, absolutely. And then kind of lastly, do you think we'll see, again, personnel aside and whether Flanagan gets suspended at this point in the year, do you think they kind of are what they are? Or do you think some of the stuff we talked about with the ball sticking and all of these other different things defensively, do you think we see anything differently in what could end up being like you, I think you mentioned a second ago, a kitchen sink game that you have to beat Alabama. Do you think you'll see anything drastically different from a schematic standpoint? I mean, offensively, you know, you just, the talent is what it is. I don't think there's, you know, a whole lot that they can do there. Um, I think defensively, that's the one that I I wonder about a little bit. Um, you know, would they try to start switching defenses a little bit to hide, you know, Juju Murray? Um, I mean, the, the most elementary question is, are they going to play harder? Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I, like I said, offensively, I think they are what they are. Defensively is the area where I'm I'm kind of curious to see. I am as well. Just one quick look around the SEC. What do you kind of make of how the league's shaping up? Have your, I mean, Kentucky runs Alabama out of the gym. It seems like there's three, four teams at the top that are kind of, uh, I would say, infinitely better than the middle pack of the teams. But is your opinion on the league and how this could shake out and seeding or any of that changed? 
Yeah, I mean, I still think – I kind of think this is um, – I think this is the year that Rick Barnes finally makes a run and is able to kind of shut up all the talk about, you know, how he performs in March. Um, the one that's kind of a boring storyline but interesting at the same time is LSU just keeps kind of battling. Yeah. Um, they're You know, they're, they're not super talented. I mean, South Carolina being 10-4 and four in conference play – is is pretty incredible um so i mean nothing 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 sticks out to me a whole lot i think that the one thing that's pretty interesting is how big of a wake-up call the Ole Miss game was for Florida they looked super soft in that game when we ran them out of the gym and they play a lot harder now i think that that was a game that Todd Golding probably looking back on it is kind of happy it happened um because you know they're they're right where they need to be in every every metric as well. They're playing a lot better, and they almost had a whale of a win at Alabama earlier this week. They were that close yeah. to pulling off would have been kind of a season defining win. So they're playing good basketball. It uh it should be one hell of an SEC tournament. Ole Miss will be back at it in action on Wednesday at eight p.m. We'll talk to Bracken next week to see if this team still has a pulse. So we're talking about NIT and where they're headed from there. But I appreciate the time, man. We'll catch up with you again here soon. Sounds like a plan. Okay, that was Bracken. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As the uh, I know it's a tough way for the Rebels to end the season, but I, I guess still some glimmer of hope left in what was an overachieving and still is an overachieving achieving season so far. We're going to get to Colin Brister on Ole Miss baseball's uh, offensive explosion to back end a series against High Point. The issue surrounding this team is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Is there a fix to this? And a whole lot more. Before we get to that, though, one take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. If you're a Rippy Rights subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. Get a newsletter from me and discounted meats. Right now, it is three six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation you're getting there for 20 bucks. Go in there, check out your own favorites, get the Rippy Rights special. There's all kinds of delicious cuts, fresh sausages, seafood. It's the best butcher shop in the world, a crown jewel of Oxford. Check them out today, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. Okay, here's Colin. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent, Colin Brister. The Rebels, as we record this, I don't even know if the game's ended yet. We decided to start recording once it got to 22-2 to two or something. Um, that we decided that was safe. It looks like they're going to take a series from uh, Powerhouse High Point. This Boston yeah. right back into the national seeding conversation. How how important of a February series win is this? Um, so, I don't really know what people are freaking out. They won two games opening weekend and, and won the series this weekend. Not really sure why people are upset and think the Rebels suck. Um, I'm being facetious. 
Uh, yeah. So you play like absolute dog doo doo for what four games, and then Mike yells at them on Friday night, was told, and then Saturday, Sunday, they play pretty well. Um, you know, it. I'm not necessarily sure this team's any good. But I do know if they had lost one more game after Friday night this season, and as crazy as it sounds, would have been in peril. And now you still have somewhat of an opportunity to go out and show that you don't stink versus, um, you know, if you had lost this weekend series, I think the overwhelming majority of people would have just, uh, you know, accepted that you probably stink. Yes, the pitchforks were at the door as early as they've probably ever been at. And with decent reason, you know, you don't – I mean, we were joking about the game's – against Hawaii not being on TV. Well, hell, that ended up being like a decent thing. At least you yeah, couldn't thank, see. Thank God. Yeah, at least, you, at least you couldn't see how bad it was. And then you come back with like the all-time lethargic midweek performance against Arkansas State where just you couldn't get anything going offensively. Um, Arkansas State jumps out to an early lead. They're making errors again, and it's like, oh, boy. And then you follow it up again with the loss against High Point on Friday to where, yeah, if Saturday had not gone well and had not gone well from the jump, um, I really do think you're looking at – say looking at the outlook of this season drastically different. That's probably not fair, but you're probably seeing a bunch of people just say, okay, this team's bad. Like, I guess wake me up in June or hell, February 25. I don't really know. But this felt like it would have been a complete catastrophe, and if nothing else, they avoided that by destroying them the final two games. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, um, and High Point stinks. So, you know, it's it's not a whole lot to brag about. I believe they have Iowa next weekend. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Yeah, Iowa does not stink. So, um, you're going to find out next weekend what you're about. You know, they, they get a lot of questions they got to answer. Um, some of the answers I'm not sure are found within the current roster. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it was – look, we can sit here and lie to everybody and say, oh, the, the last two games really important. No, they just played really bad pitching. So, um, we'll see. And to we'll, be we'll, fair, we'll did what going. did what competent teams are supposed to do against? Yes, they mashed it. The issue is they played not great pitching from Hawaii last weekend on the back end of the series and just were not very good. So, um, yeah, look, I, I, I think, it, it, I think the way I would describe Ole Miss's current outlook is. I don't know. Versus, if they had lost this weekend series, I'd have had a pretty, uh, pretty clear uh, outlook for the Ole Miss Rebels. Uh, they just stink. So you know, like I said, they still have time now to prove that you don't stink. But 
you would not have been afforded that opportunity had you lost a series to something called High Point. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's exactly how I feel about it. I mean, I, I think you summed that up as as good or as anyone could. It's just like, ah, uh, okay, if you still still reserve the right to say, yeah, I don't know, like could this team put it together and end up being okay? I, I guess I don't, I don't really have a ton of faith in that at this moment, but at no, least the possibility is still there. As opposed to man, you lose two or three a high point coming off a loss to Arkansas State and damn near losing three out of four against Hawaii. It's like I don't know who this team would be. Um, there were points at Friday I was kind of going through looking at the worst SEC records of all time and wondering how they could get there. I, I was at that point um, because, I mean, I had a couple people ask me, like, uh, like you know, basically mentioned something about the podcast on Sunday. This is amidst the 7-3 the, the loss on Friday. And I was like, I mean, could we get some entertainment value out of it by us just spending the year tracking the worst SEC teams in various categories and records and their path to doing that? Could you take like the <sighs> 0-16 Lions? I don't – I didn't really know. Um, again, seeing them hit a bunch of home runs out of the ballpark on Saturday and Sunday against bad pitching at least kind of was like, okay, it all might not be completely lost. I might have to t- cable, table that idea for another month. But, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at as well. And then like a weird – uh, I would say pre-series storyline with the whole Luke Hill thing. I got to be honest. I was looking. I don't. I don't take a ton of interest in storylines like this. I also don't really understand the nuances of the internet at times, and didn't really get what had happened, other than the fact that some screenshots of him saying he wished he was at LSU and his NIL payments weren't being made on time. Um, I know that happened. I know he claimed he got hacked. I am confused on the the whole. Where was this posted, and what would him being Funny. hacked have to do with the messages being faked? Real, the whole thing confused the hell to me. Do you have any understanding of this at all, buddy? Buddy, um, so let me tell you my week. So Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, I coached softball games. Friday, I coached a basketball game, and Saturday, I coached a baseball game. So I woke up on Saturday morning, and someone had sent me a tweet and said something along the lines of "Still, still playing." Uh, does this kind of, you know, spell disaster for the Rebels? And I and I had to be like, what did Luke Hill do? So my week, uh, my week's been a week. So I texted somebody that I thought would know, um, you know, but that that's all on the Ole Miss Twitter, and basically just reiterated what you said that uh, some screenshots got sent out of my man saying he hadn't been given nil payments and wanted to go to LSU, and then he said he was hacked. And I don't really know. I'm 30 now. I don't really care what these kids say on social media anymore. Um, I just would like them to, you know, play well for the Rebels and, you know, they can put whatever they like on social media. Yep, I'm in the same camp. I mean, obviously, if it is true, and I have no insight as to whether it is or not, not a great look. Not sure how that would I would feel if I was a member of the clubhouse and see another teammate of mine saying that. Maybe they believe it. Maybe it is fake. Again, I am not drawing any sort of conclusion. I feel dumb talking about this. But I guess the part that confused me, is if you'd have put me on like put it on like I still use Group Me. If you'd put that yeah, on the tip, but I've been like, oh, I recognize that. I don't know what the hell this was on. <laughs> I don't know what the app <laughs> was. I'd never was, heard of any of this. Maybe I'm just old, but that's, was that's it, the was part it, that threw me off. Was it like Discord or something? It could be, but why are why are kids on Discord these days? What am I missing on that app? <laughs> I know like uh, kids use it for like gaming and stuff. I say kids like oof, God, I feel old now. Okay, um, that could be I it. Think- yeah, maybe it was a Discord thing. I don't know. Uh, we, we 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 sound old at this point. 
Yeah. So anyway, that was what it was. Kind of added to a weird start to the weekend. Um, it did seem like a smattering of booze from the student section. It wasn't really like a state really? thing. I don't think you could hear it. I got a couple of texts about it. I was sitting with my parents behind home plate. I could not hear it for one. Um, so again, whatever. But I did have a couple people text me. You could kind of pick up on that. Not great, but hey, he had a home run on Saturday. It, it clearly wasn't too big of an issue because he did play all three games this weekend. I imagine the drastic move if something really badly was wrong and they felt like they had to address it, him not being in the lineup, one would have been extremely odd. But number two, like that would give it more legitimacy with that. It was, I guess, real. That was kind of where I stood from that. No, Once he was in the three. lineup, I was kind of like, whatever. Number three, do they have another shortstop on this team? Well, no. And that was – I was going back and forth with a, with a buddy about this on Friday as this was unfolding. And, again, without me understanding the full scope of the story. And it's like, okay, well, what are you going to do? Bench him? Like, why is it okay? If, if it is true and they feel like they have to bench him, why is it okay if he plays in three games if he said those things and feels that way? You know what I mean? What are you going to do, bench him for the whole year? And I was like, I, you can't do that. Do they have another guy that can play – and like that work out, of course not. So I was kind of in the camp too. What other options do they have? Because they also have to go win this game, which they did not. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I mean, think about it. They lost Cooper Pratt to the MLB draft. They uh, lost the Oso kid that had, was there for like 15 minutes and a trip to Funkies and went back to the University of Tampa. Um, and, you know, is now back at. Uh, like I said, Tampa. So they don't really have a, a plethora of options at shortstop. So, yeah, they need all that to work out if they're going to be able to make the tournament. I think we can go through – I mean, look, we can go through the Friday loss and talk, you know, the offensive explosion on Saturday and really Sunday to death. But I think the kind of main issues you can pick up from this weekend with this team is what are they going to do on Friday nights? Because you really just have not seen it. We've had gotten the two televised versions of JT Quinn starts. What do you think has kind of gone wrong? But that to me would be issue number one for Ole Miss from a pitching staff standpoint is what are you going to do on Friday nights? Because as we'll get to in a second, I actually think they're okay in the other slots, at least for the time being. Uh, if it's not JT Quinn, I think there's one answer. There's, there's but one answer. And it's, it's, it's a young man that uh, has been – heavily uh, scrutinized on this here podcast, um, uh, especially two years ago when he entered a game at Starville, Mississippi. I think the answer, if it is not JT Quinn, is you have to try Josh Mallett on Friday night because that kid looks special. He looks really, really good. And I think he's almost his best arm, and I think that's that if JT Quinn is not the answer. And, and you know, it's probably a little early to go there, but I do think from a um, talent standpoint and a stuff standpoint, he would be the next best option in that role. I think so as well. But it's what's interesting to me about that conversation, look, it's early in the year and they're going to do a lot of different things. But one thing I was mildly surprised by when they put out the pitching rotation this weekend, I just assumed last week when they played four games that um, – Gunnar Dennis was probably the fourth guy and they just stuck him in the first of the doubleheader on Saturday, but they stuck with him. He was the Saturday guy. They put Sonia up, clearly left him on Sunday, but had uh, Riley Maddox come in actually in relief when that game got squirrely on Friday. He actually threw three scoreless innings of relief before I think he got tagged for another run before he exited the game. But I was surprised that he was not left in the starting role as opposed to a Gunnar Dennis. I don't know what that necessarily means, but I guess as it relates to Mallets, if you thought that was probably going to be the case, would you would you would you go toward trying it soon? Because they already gave 
Maddox a start and then decided not to do that the next weekend. Like, do you see this as a move that's coming soon? Uh, for Quinn, you're asking, bro. Yes, Quinn for really Maddox. Yeah. Um, no, I think they probably go. The issue is like at some point you run out of weeks. Um, and you know, you play SEC game three weeks from today. So, um, you know, you got you got to get something figured out. I think they probably roll him out there one more time, um, and and see what happens. And hope that he's the guy. I know their hope is that um, you know, he he, he they're able to leave Mallets in that closer type role. But at some point, you got to do something. Um, you know, and again, Quinn was not bad on the Friday at Hawaii. I didn't necessarily think he was that good um, on Friday against uh, Hot Point. So probably one more. And, and kind of make a decision off of that because I'm sure Mike would really like to that last weekend of non-conference play trot the rotation out that he feels comfortable with um, when they open up at SEC play. And it, yeah, I think you're right too. And I think it's probably a pretty fair litmus test to see. Right. Iowa does not suck. Their team with some big 10 title buzz. I mean, if, 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 if he struggles again this next weekend, I think you probably have to go to a move because you mentioned for that point, you'll play an SEC, you'll play an SEC game less than two weeks to the day, and I think after a fair test against Iowa, if that does not go well, you're probably going to have to look at making a move, and I'm very curious to see what that is because in some ways, because of injury, Ole Miss learned this lesson last year. Like, Xavier Rivas for the Sunday role was fine, or Saturday, whatever he ended up becoming. Last year was a little bit of a blur. At times, Sonia could give you a little bit and kind of get you through what you needed on Sunday, but you're really, in this league, in most years, if you don't have a guy that can go give you length and go miss bats and go six, seven innings on a Friday night consistently, or at least have the ability to do so, you're at a massive disadvantage in trying to win a series against anyone. Yes, yes. I mean, you got to have a dude on Friday night, man, that can just help you compete and keep you in games. Um, and that, like you said, that was almost his biggest issue last year is they just started off the weekend so far behind and then – you know, you had shots on really Saturday and Sunday, but you're pitching your, you know, what what would formidably be a Saturday or Sunday guy on Friday nights, and it just got all out of whack. Um, so I don't know. It's it's they have to be competitive on Friday nights. At some point last year, I think I said that you know, hey, if you could just you know go two and eight, three and seven on Fridays, you'll be fine. I think I've kind of changed my line of thinking. You have, you've got to have a dude, man. If you don't have a dude that can go get you outs and keep you in games and help you win on Friday nights in the SEC, uh, you're not going to be any good. So, almost has got to find that guy, and, and hopefully for their sake it's JT Quinn. But if it's not, they, they've got to make something happen, something shake there, because I, I just don't think you can go through SEC play a 30-game SEC schedule and, uh, you know, the opening night of a series, you're just not even competitive. So, uh, yeah, almost has got to find something there for sure. It's a third year in a row. Last year injuries, obviously, mostly the reason for it that they're searching for it is they. I was about this is, would have been an unfair way to phrase the question. I was about to ask, is there a Dylan Delucia on the roster? But is that type of guy that can help them on Friday nights and be that dude? Do you think he's on the roster? I mean, you gave Josh Mallett, but do, do you think that yeah. guy in general is on the roster? Um, you know, I don't know because, and complete fairness, the roster is is new, right? Um, so. You know, at this point in the 2022 season, we didn't really know who Dylan was. So, you know, it's just you're going to have to wait and see because, again, you're you're pitching and, and trying to find a lot of new guys that can pitch. And so, I mean, you hope so, but I, I think probably seven, what, eight games in is probably a little too early to decide that. 
I agree as well. And we have it with respect to High Point. I don't even know what their mascot is. Aren't they, are they a panther? Is that? Is that I, thought they, I thought they were. I thought they were a bird, but oh, you know, ma- whatever. maybe not. Uh, I I could. I was literally just guessing. No, they're the Panthers. I thought I saw. Oh, there you go. Uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I thought I saw something about that this weekend. With respect to the Panthers, I would also like to see this pitching staff against a competent offense again. I mean, look, you're going to have moments where you, no matter who you're playing, you could be playing North Alabama. I know that's a sore subject still these days. Uh-huh. Or, you know, Auburn. And you can have moments where you have guys that just walk the ballpark and it's not competitive. But I would like to see, you know, Quinn, I'd like to see Gunnar Dennis. I'd really like to see everyone in this rotation and on the pitching staff as a whole just to see how, like, how effective and how many, like, can you miss bats consistently and have swing and miss stuff against a competent offense. I think this Iowa series will be telling for that purpose alone, regardless of how it goes. If they pitch awesome and still lose two out of three, you could look at it and think, okay, maybe they're okay in some areas. But I think that may be the most telling part of next weekend. Is there? Any, I was thinking about this earlier uh, today. Is there anybody that you're surprised hasn't pitched yet or hasn't pitched much yet? Um, I'm trying to think. You got I mean, Tacoyan's a little once. Yeah, and Tacoyan's only pitched once. I thought they were gonna. I thought they were gonna try that a little bit more. Um, so that would probably be my answer. I'll, I'll be honest. Liam Dole pitched today, uh, but him and Carmack not really pitching at all. I don't think it's a great sign, you know, that from a transfer portal standpoint, you know, then look, they haven't been good when they're given opportunities, but I think they both were expected to come in and contribute and help. And, you know, you look at Carmack, I think he's pitched 0.2 innings before today. Doyle had pitched one. Um, and you're talking about two guys that, had, you know, when they signed were considered to be people that maybe could compete for rotation spots and for whatever reason that just is not materialized. No, it is not. And in fairness, as I look at this roster I and mean, at this as this game log, uh I guess this would have to be five games in. I'd be very shocked if Ole Miss Media Relations as the game just ended has uh has already had this updated. But in fairness, everybody on the roster has pitched and everyone's kind of teetering between one and two appearances, but there's also different types of appearances and like who yeah. pitches in what order the first couple games of a yeah. weekend. Some of it may be circumstance. I imagine Mike was chasing the game on Friday, you know, trying not to lose to a, a high point, but I mean, you do get Liam Doyle in the game today and Austin Simmons. Yeah. Uh, so you give him an inning today and Spencer as well. So over the next couple of weeks, if you're talking about guys surprised you haven't pitched, we name those two. I think Spencer and Doyle would be two guys that, assuming these games are close, do they factor in at any point at all? And if so, how? I think that would be another telling piece of this is who pitches and when over the next, uh, really just next weekend series. I don't even have any looked at who they played the midweek yet. Yeah, I guess I could look at that. I do know they play a midweek game. Uh, is it maybe Missouri State? I'm not totally sure. Um, but yeah, I think, look, this weekend is going to be as close to an SEC weekend as you get um, with Iowa coming to town. So I think they're going to have to treat it from a from a pitching standpoint to kind of like that, and you'll see what guys pitch in what roles. Uh, it's actually they play two midweek games this week, so that's kind of kind of important now. Uh, they play Arkansas State – excuse me, not Arkansas State again. Arkansas Little Rock on Tuesday and then Missouri State on Wednesday. So, um, yeah, no, look, you're going to see some pitching there. This week, you've got five games to get through, um, and not a whole lot of arms have had a whole lot of success. So, they're, you're gonna have to see who they think can fit into what role. Uh, obviously, Mallets will be involved at some point, and and you know, that the Dennis Dennis will pitch on Saturday, and I'm sure Sonia will take the ball again on Sunday. 
But, you know, outside of that, from a, and, and I'd be kind of shocked if Quinn doesn't take it yet Friday. But outside of that, it's going to be kind of interesting to see how they fill roles with guys because you're not – I guess my point is you don't have a whole lot of data this year to back it up of, of, uh, with roles – with respect to what roles guys are in. You're just going to have to kind of see what they think about certain guys um, and their progression so far. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the... – I don't know. I'm, is there someone that has stuck out to you that you hope gets more action? Is there anything stuff-wise? There hasn't been a ton of people that have jumped off the page from – I'm trying to think of an example. Um, Spencer – What did you say? I, I like the Spencer kid that closed the first game in Hawaii. I think that's I think probably the closest one to it as well. And then uh, – it was, it was, yeah, Spencer was the guy in relief against Hawaii. That moment where, like – do you remember 21 where, like, Brandon Johnson came in again in the game yeah. against Texas? It was like, holy, like that guy threw 94. Where, where's he been? Like, who is he? And then we didn't really see him much till the end of that year. But that's not that not really being the point. Like, I, there hasn't been anyone to me. And again, I've been in and out. Hawaii series didn't get to watch the last three games. Nobody did. Was in and out in the midweek. And then I uh, was at the game late Friday because I did have a day job I had to go to. Um, I haven't I've not been totally completely locked in at this point yet, but I haven't noticed anyone that stuck out to where it's like, whoa, who the hell is this? Um, Where's this been? I- you know, obviously, I wasn't able to watch them. I believe Mendez came in after Dennis um, last Saturday when they played Hawaii in game one. And he um, looked and, terrific. And was, yeah, and, and was pretty successful. So, um not sure. When, when did he pitch this weekend? Or I assumed he did. Did he pitch Friday? He was on – no, uh, he did not pitch this weekend. Wow. That's um something. Maybe, that is something. I don't know. Um, um, now, granted, after uh, you go, he goes Quinn Maddox to Coyan on Friday in Calhoun. It didn't feel, I know it was only a four run game, it didn't really feel like they're in the game. I think at one point it was like seven to one, uh, before they mm-hmm. added two in the bottom of the seventh. Maybe they're waving the right flag with the whole Calhoun to Decoyan, not disrespect to either one of those two. And then you got it, they went straight from Dennis to Mallets because Dennis did get you almost through five innings. And the game got called after seven innings, so each of the last two days. So that could be a piece of this as well. Just to sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, that's that's completely fair, and I hadn't thought about that. You're missing four innings of baseball yeah. this weekend. Um, so yeah, no, it's going to be interesting because I don't feel like they're going to run roll out. You know, uh, I know weird things happen, but you're going to go through five games this weekend. It's going to. This is the week where I see. I think uh, we start to see maybe some roles get figured out as far as you know who who they trust out of the bullpen and big big leverage spots. And I think it, it, it is – we haven't seen a ton of Mason Nichols and – I mean, I keep saying a ton through two weekends, Mitch Morrell. Those are guys that when this all gets sorted out, I will have roles on this team. Like, the, I think the bullpen is going to be deeper than maybe it looks right now. They're just trying – and ideally through wins, trying to figure out what they have in some of these guys, whereas – I think that performance from Nichols on Friday against Hawaii was very reinforcing. I think we were both on the train. Hey, this kid doesn't suck. It just, you know, yeah. whatever happened last year kind of happened, but you've seen him get outs on a huge stage. Same with Morrell, imperfect pitcher, but definitely a guy you think you can go to on an SEC weekend. I, I think some of this will gain clarity when those guys settle into their roles while they they are simultaneously figuring out all these other dudes we mentioned where we don't really know what they are yet. Yeah, no, and you know, you asked about guys that that I wanted to see pitch more. That obviously didn't include some of the guys that have been around. I, you know, I know what Mason Nichols can do. He was really good uh, the Friday night against Hawaii. So, you know, you just kind of hope that that continues. I look, I can present a Pollyanna world where this team's okay. I, I'll be honest, pitching wise, it's not been great. 
I was a little bit more worried about the offense. Um, and I'm still a little bit worried about the offense because I know I saw the guys high point throughout there today. Not very good. Not, not comparable to what you're going to see over the next few weeks with Iowa and SEC play. So this offense has got to perform, man. The, the offense is the, the way uh, this team makes the tournament if they want to make a run. I, they're going to be – they've been somewhat okay, I thought, pitching-wise. Not, not great, not terrible, but I didn't expect this – pitching staff to be anything but just sort of okay it's 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 all the onus is on the offense to me I, I just they've got to perform better and they I, did the last two games yes they did the last two games what as we covered earlier there, what can you make of that I guess if you want to yeah. take have some sort of takeaway from this weekend um I don't care if you're throwing off against uh me and you uh Jackson Ross four home runs that was good um that is know, good a couple of them did not I'm not sure if they've landed yet he looks like he definitely has uh, I think they have first base figured out. Maybe they move him somewhere else if you know, yeah. have other roster shufflings. But like he seems like he's going to be a mainstay. And there were at least kind of flashes of that this weekend where it's like, like this guy, this guy could be a pretty key cog in the middle of this lineup. He has real power. Seems like he hits to all fields. I was very impressed with his weekend. Yeah, um, and then, you know, Furnace has the big weekend as well. I, th- I think Ross is a player, man. Look, they've they've just got to they've got to figure it out offensively. And again, they did the last two games, but I, I just. I need to see it against better arms than what half point put out there on Saturday and Sunday. So um, we'll see. We'll see going forward. I think they like, I keep saying this, they got a big test this week. You're going to see pretty good arms, you know? Um, I, I think, you know, Missouri state has always been able to pitch and then, um, you know, outside of one game, they're still water regional, but, and, and then Iowa's got to think like a first round prospect. Um, so, you know, you're going to see dudes this weekend. And and I think I think this weekend from an offensive perspective, for sure, we'll be able to tell us a good bet. I think so as well. One thing that I noted, just a small thing from after the first game, they uh, Luke Hill is struggling. He doesn't have the home run Saturday. They're going to need him to have, be pretty damn good at the plate. Because um, as we mentioned earlier, I'm not sure what other options they have at shortstop. But after the first game, they did move him down in the order and Groff became the leadoff hitter, and I think uh, Hill was either in the six or seven slot than each of the next two days. I don't know if there's any significance to that, too, but it seemed to look better with Groff at the leadoff spot with Fisher behind him, and the, everything after that seemed to just make a little more sense and honestly seemed, with the way Ross was hitting in the cleanup hole, a hell of a lot more formidable. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense, actually. Um, so... Look, Ross is going to be the dude at short. There's, there's no doubt about it. He's not the dude at short. They're going to have problems. So, just got to kind of, um, you know, bear with it and hope the kid starts to perform because there's not a whole hell of a lot of other answers there. And stay out of the uh, group group chats. Yeah, that that might help. That might help. <laughs> that might help as well. You know, we talked about seven of the nine, uh, seven of the eight position players in some senses, other than Leger and. Uh, Leger and Groff being new, they didn't really change a ton lineup wise this week. And I don't know if you noticed. I mean, it was Fisher at third. It was uh you had Leger in left, you had Groff in center, they moved Furnace around. I think you got a Kramer starting left field, but there wasn't a whole lot of movement um around this weekend, other than I think on the Saturday game, you had did we get Leje at second base on Saturday? Did I write this down incorrectly? No, I think that's correct. 
Okay, so you had that, but other than that, like you kind of knew what you were going to get at first base. Clearly, Fisher's not moving from third. You get Hill in all three games at shortstop. I thought we might see a little more movement around and playing more guys, um, but we didn't. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but with the amount of new pieces they had, that was a bit surprising to me. Um. Yeah. No. That's it's certainly fine. Look, this there's a lot of dudes that they've got to get ready that, that they hope can. I think. It was kind of funny that there was no talk about Will Furness coming into the year, and then he has this weekend, and I feel like he'll probably be in the lineup over the next few games. And there was a ton of talk about Udermark coming into the year, and he's not the, the star that I'm sure he's wanted yet. Uh, you know, so it's just it. That, look, they gotta they gotta find the right combo, and it's it's impossible to know what guys do unless you play them, right? So just kind of gotta bear with it and, and continue to, um, you know. Play the guys, you know. Wow, I'm looking at stats right now. Leger, man, Leger has been awesome. They've got five dudes that are killing the ball. Uh, Will Furness, Andrew Fisher, um, Ethan Groff, uh, Jackson Ross, and Leger are all over 956 OPSs, and then it just falls off a cliff after that. Like it goes from 956, and the next highest is Udermark at 675. They've got one, they've got three dudes hitting above 250 right now. Um, you know, Fisher and Furness are hitting for a lot of power, so that makes their OPS go up. But they've got two dudes, three dudes over 250 right now. It's just been kind of a slog offensively so far. Yeah, and, and they had two crucial errors in the game in the loss on Friday. Braden Randall makes an error that really they could have gotten out of the inning early. Does it really make a huge difference with the way they performed offensively? I am uh, I'm not totally sure. But after that, you saw Burford and you saw Leger, as I mentioned, in game two, get a shot at second base. Just overall defensively, do you think this team will end up being as bad as it showed at times in the last two games or really three games? Uh, no, because it was horrendous, but I don't think it's going to be good. Um, I mean, Groff's really good in center. I feel like you're, you're going to be okay in that field because of that. But, no, I don't I don't think this, de- this is going to be a good defense. I don't think it's going to be horrendous like the last few games. I think that was more to do with focus and effort and um, those types of things versus, um, you know, ability. But I don't think they're going to be overly special defensively, if I'm honest. I think Smithwick's going to be really good. Um, you know, and then up the middle is is kind of – you're not you're not set at second base. And Luke Hill's good. He's fine at second – or she's excuse me, at short. Uh, but, no, if, if from a totality standpoint, I don't think this is going to be an elite or – or even really great defense. I think it it could be average to to maybe a little above. Yeah, I think it's got to be average for them to really have a chance of being the mix for an NCAA tournament berth. And if it's not, that could be really. I mean that that's a massive margin, or could end up being a massive margin between you know twelve and eighteen and fourteen and sixteen and being in the mix. Sure. I mean, we saw that play out at different times last year where you can't get off the field and the cost of the error comes in and um, it just compounds everything. Um, Last thing, one of the things after the loss on Friday that I thought was interesting that Mike had mentioned before a little beginning to why, like losing your losing their composure. And I've never seen a team kind of come unglued like that. And we had a chance to have a good weekend. And we didn't do it. I can't remember if it was Ross or Fisher that Chase had a quote in his story after Friday talking about being anxious and anxious and wanting. There are a lot of nerves. And uh, here it is. There are a lot of nerves and unsettled. We are anxious and anxious to be out there in front of all these fans and playing for this awesome university. We know how this successful this team has been, and we're trying to get back there. And he started that quote that I missed. We should, if we can simplify the game. But I've heard the word anxiety and anxious a lot, and it that certainly looks like the team has been pressing at times 
Chase and I had this conversation a little bit. Maybe we did too last week. Why do you think that is? Like what you're five games into a 55 game season. You haven't played an opponent really worth their salt yet. What, what would make you so anxious and so pressing this early into the year? It's not like there were massive expectations other than to not be awful. Um, you know, for the guys that returned, they were obviously part of probably, I mean, one of the worst seasons of Ole Miss baseball history. And then, you know, you just don't play well at Hawaii. I think the game that probably kickstarted everything is that, that, final game um, where they just kind of no-showed it. And then you come home, you take the long flight, you play like crap against Arkansas State, and then it just it bottoms out on you. Um, from a pressing standpoint, it's not so much like the expectations or whatnot, but, man, when things don't happen for you in baseball and, and, and whatnot, it's it's just easy to kind of say, like, you know, God hates me and nothing's going to happen, right? And, and you kind of got to battle that adversity. And you're talking about some new kids, right? Think about it. You're talking about some kids that that have either come in from high school where they were the best dudes on the field or they've come in from smaller colleges, right? Like a, a Trace and Hughes or to a smaller degree a Jackson Ross or, um, you know, and, and they, they've always had success. And you come here and you get punched in the face and you've got to be able to handle that. Um, and, and from, you know, they, they had never really been punched in the face before from a baseball perspective that everything had been kind of, I'm not going to say easy, but everything they they were so good at playing baseball at their respective universities and the competition maybe wasn't as great. Um, but you know, it, it's from an adversity standpoint, I think they've got to be able to handle it and maybe a little better than they did the first week. Um, and, and I think, I think they will. Um, but, but certainly if they're not, it's going to be a long year. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think you put something up pretty well. Uh, I would say that might be a first and I'm kind of poking fun here. I know this isn't exactly what he said, but, uh, is this the first time that Ole Miss has had a crowd that's worked against its own team's advantage? They were actually the ones freaked out because, you know, high point, I'm sure is used to playing against massive crowds. Maybe it was the rebels at the disadvantage this week. Well, I, I guess that is a good point. Um, you know, the, the the large crowds and the people being happy and drinking beer in the right field affected the Rebels. Put that in the papers. I know the pitcher picks, and I'm not going to go on uniform gate already, but uh, another year where it looks like they might be wearing the pinstripes on the weekends, I don't necessarily hate it. But Somebody uh, told me that they don't have all their uniforms currently. Is that a thing? I saw a thread about this on our board. It was like, is Nike not still not sent the uniforms? I don't, I honestly, I have no clue. I'll have to ask Chase about this one. Uh, if so, that seems problematic. We had a kid leave a uniform a couple years ago, but when, and if a company doesn't send you all of your uniforms, that would seem real bad too. Well, I'd get that fixed. We're two weeks into this thing now. Yeah. I would, if that's the case, wow. Uh, that needs to be done. But yeah, Derek Diamond, never forget, left his uh, uniform in Hammond, Louisiana. Do you think that like got, skipped to the baseball office like how did they get that resolved i can't I, again i wish i could have been there when Derek diamond told mike bianco he did not have his form I, I need that in my life well if i'm if i remember correctly they were going from hammond to auburn uh yes. for a series that maybe i want to say started on thursday it doesn't really matter yes. but i think it wasn't the way we found out was was it not the fact that he was wearing a jersey with no name on the back that it was a different yes. number and then the broadcast tells you so i, I guess that's how that happened but if he only left yeah. that color jersey and they wore a different one the rest of the weekend, he was probably fine then, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they wore blue. I remember they wore blue on Tuesdays in Hammond and then wore, wore blue again on Thursday in Auburn. But my man left his blue jersey in Hammond, Alabama. Or, excuse me, Louisiana. Yeah, that's, uh, that's not what you want. Ole Miss on the weekend as a pitching staff, I was trying to go through this earlier – 
they, of course, I can't find it now walk-wise, but they issued seven walks in their 7-3 to three loss, which is a massive reason mm. they get behind immediately. But the rest of the weekend, they issue in two, granted, two seven-inning games, a total of six. So at least some improvement there. On Yeah, the better. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this on the last podcast that we did, but did you realize that almost threw 50% strikes on the weekend at Hawaii? I did. That was uh, not great. Yeah. Um, I've coached high school pitchers the last two years. We're consistently around about 56 to 58, upwards to 60 with some guys. That's really bad. Like, holy – I, I get the strike zones are different uh, now than they were two years ago. But, man, I, I don't know how a college program throws 50% strikes on a weekend. So, and you know, what's unfortunate is that I, I firmly believe that those guys threw strikes in practice in an inner squad. So, for whatever reason, it's kind of concerning to go out on that first weekend and aren't, aren't able to throw strikes. So, you're happy to see that, that there was somewhat of an improvement this week, especially after Friday. Well, that might be the most poignant statistic to underscore what we just talked about. The 50% strike percentage from that first weekend is so low and so abhorrent. Like, again, the, even if these if this pitching staff doesn't turn out to be good and the, the, these guys aren't good and these teams aren't good, they aren't that bad. They're not 50% strike bad. And I mm-hmm. think Mike mentioned that. Like there's just a sheer – when he was talking about coming unglued and losing your composure after Hawaii, he, he mentioned just like the inability to throw the ball into the strike zone was just kind of mind-blowing to him. And I think that's probably as good an example of any where, yeah, this looked bad. Yes, this could end up being bad. But that's that's got to be something more than this team just isn't a good pitching staff. That has to be nerves or whatever the hell it is because, I mean, you just mentioned your your, your high school guys are eight percentage points higher on a consistent basis. That that doesn't seem to add up. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they, they've got to be better. In the uh, in the strike zone, you know what the thing could do is, and uh, do you know how like funny it is from? And this is like a quick aside from me going having to like make pitching decisions and and like try to play matchups to like now I coach softball and I have two girls that are really good and I just I'm like I don't know keep throwing that would be nice if you're in baseball you could just look at them and be like I don't know figure it out keep going. Well, you don't have to worry about <laughs> the arm thing, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, somewhat. Like, yeah, they throw seven innings on a Monday night. They're going to be tired on Tuesday, but it's not going to hurt them health-wise to go throw again. They're just tired, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not like I got to get this kid, this this girl out of the game because she's at X pitches in the fourth inning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not really factoring into your thinking. No, no, but it, I would, it would probably have been nice for the Ole Miss Rebels if they could have just kept throwing the same three and four guys over last year. That would have helped. Yes. And one of the uh, one note that I admitted earlier that I had written down when we were talking about the pitching staff, just real quick, that I wanted to clean up the uh, Wes Mendez piece of it. So he throws two innings against Arkansas State, struck out two, walked two, allowed two runs on three hits. And I don't mm. remember at what point in that game that came in, but that could be the reason why. I, okay. I don't think that would Fair really cement th- that they're out on Wes Mendez as good as he looked in that opener, or excuse me, in that Saturday game against Hawaii. Um, but that might be why someone other guys got an opportunity this weekend. And then to close the book on that, again, they, they were missing four innings. They run ruled the two teams the last couple of years yeah. and in the last two games, and then we're chasing the game the first time. So anyway, just wanted to clean that one up real quick. Out of outside of that, I don't really have a ton else for this weekend. It was high point, and they did not lose two out of three. So congrats, I guess. We can kind of keep this yeah. going. Um they need to. They need to win. I will say this. They need to win four out of five this week. They need to win that Iowa series, and they need to win both of those weekends. They need to be eight and 
five when they they roll in the next Monday. Because, um, look, I mean, in all seriousness, we're talking about you don't want to lose more than six or seven non-conference games, and you're at four already. Um, you don't really need to drop more than one this week. And you're going to have to perform during the midweek once you get into SEC play if we're talking about making a regional. Oh, 100%. You're going to – this has to be a five-in-one week, and the one of the losses can't come in the midweek. This has to be a five-in-one week with one loss coming against Iowa. I mean, that's – there's for a team – you know, the last few teams we covered, the expectations have been so postseason-oriented. In a weird way, like what happens in February hasn't mattered a ton because the caliber of those teams was thought to be so high that it's like, all right, what's actually going to happen in SEC play and where is this team going to go from there? But for a team like this – where they put themselves behind the eight ball with a couple lethargic performances, no overly high expectations to start with. This is as important of a third week in February that yeah. I can remember in quite some time. Yeah, I mean, it's your one big um, RPI opponent um, that, that that can, you know, really help or, or hurt. So, yeah, Rebs got to win this series. They got to win two in the midweek. It's uh, as funny as it sounds, it's, it's go time. Because you you put yourself with a loss to Hawaii, two loss or excuse me, two loss to Hawaii, a loss to High Point, a loss to Arkansas State, where it's like, hey, it's not it's not like do or die, but like you probably want to win because at some point you're starting to screw with what could be an, an RPI. You're starting to create what could be an RPI problem if you don't start winning games at a at a high level and and not conference play. Yeah, you saw Mississippi State in the same boat. They lose two games to uh, to Austin P over the weekend. Excuse me, in the midweek, and then over the weekend they lose the Saturday game. I'm pretty sure they won today against they the did. team Georgia Southern team that came in like one and four, or one and three, whatever the record was. They, I mean that that was a real thing for them because they drop a game to Air Force is not horrible, but you lose two midweek games. You lose a game this weekend. They're already kind of counting the non-conference losses as well, which I mean Ole Miss State been in the same boat for the last 18 months here but that's a very real thing for them even as quickly as soon as this weekend yeah no I, and I don't know who state has this weekend but they're in the same boat man like it, it almost and state have to start winning games um in this non-conference deal and 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 be pretty consistent with it um it hurts state a little bit more because two of Ole Miss's losses were at least on the road all four of state's losses have come at home that that that's going to hurt from an RPI's perspective come June it is, and I haven't looked at where Air Force is in the RPI, but, I mean, at least Hawaii, <laughs> you mentioned that, one, it's on the road, too. At least they, I think they're, like, 76 entering the season or whatever. So, uh, who knows where that will end up being. But, like, yeah, you mentioned the home piece of it. Uh, our, Mississippi State has Jacksonville – excuse me, Jackson State in the midweek. That'll be Mount St. Mary's, parentheses MD. So, I guess that would be the Maryland version. Didn't know there was yeah. multiple um, this coming weekend. Yeah, I would say that yes. that's got to be three wins. That yeah, that needs to be four for state and and Jackson State. Although they have lost to Jackson State before. Yeah, four wins. Uh, excuse me, I was, I was talking about whoever the Mount St. Mary's is. They have to go. Into yeah, week. they cannot drop a game. Yeah. Um. So and you would think they probably will, but yeah, I mean, Ole Miss and State just are kind of in the same boat. Like you, you better start playing well because at some point you keep losing these games and these, you know, you, you're going to look up and hate yourself in May. Yep. It'll be interesting. Huge week for Ole Miss. We'll talk to you again at some point this week. He is Colin Brister. I appreciate the time, man. We'll talk to you here real soon. Absolutely, brother. That's going to do it for our show today. Thanks for listening to this podcast as always. Got a couple more guests for you lined up this week. Definitely some basketball and baseball related content too, as it is uh, again that time of year where you got both going on. Thanks for listening to this podcast as always. We'll talk to you here in just a couple of days. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.